I'm Joanna Fortune, psychotherapist and author of the 15-minute parenting series of books. Welcome to my 15-minute parenting podcast, where I take a common parenting struggle and break it down with practical, playful solutions. Let's get going. A parent messaged me asking me to talk about children's phobias on here, and as she was the third such parent in as many weeks, I figured it was time to spotlight childhood phobias and fears. Children's worries, fears and anxieties are at a high point right now, in part because of the effects of this prolonged restriction period due to COVID and the effect it's had on their typical life and routines. Not purely because of this or not solely because of this, but that's definitely amplified things like this. But let's start with differentiating between a phobia and a fear. It's really important to distinguish phobias from what are normal childhood fears, also known as transient fears, because they're temporary. For example, nearly all infants and toddlers will go through phases of one or more of the following at some point of their development. You know, it could be demonstrating anxiety around strangers or in unfamiliar settings. Um, You know, we might call it making strange with people. We see it as a phase and they may also cling to parents when introduced to new people as part of that, um, become emotionally distressed when separated from a parent. You know, most infants and young toddlers will go through some degree of this at some stage of their development. You know, many children will struggle even with the specific fear of being physically separated from their parents or other family members. And that's known as separation anxiety. And that's not a phobia, but overtly some of the behavior, the the responses you see might look quite phobic. They might even avoid leaving you altogether. And they, I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to go somewhere because I know it means leaving you. Similarly, most older children will also go through periods of fearing and worrying about certain things. Like you might see it um, imaginary things like ghosts, monsters. Um, They might even fear or ruminate on getting sick or you getting sick or someone getting hurt or even someone dying. Um, They, you know, they might worry about having a parent or sibling or a pet get sick, uh, someone in the immediate family. Even if it hasn't happened, they may just simply, simply have this thing in their mind and they go, but what if? But what if? But what if? And the what ifery is what's driving the fear state that they're experiencing. It could also be something like, you know, a fear of thunderstorms, fires, other kinds of natural disasters. They may see something in a part of the world on the news and worry that it could happen here. What if we had a tsunami? What if we had an earthquake? Something like that. The difference between a normal fear and a phobia is actually the degree of anxiety involved and the length of time that a high level of pervasive anxiety persists. And by pervasive, I mean that it's more often there than and it's not there and it's affecting all aspects of the child's life. You know, a child with a phobia has a high level of anxiety and dread, even full on terror um, when they come into contact with the object of their phobia, the focus of their phobia. And this level of fear is typically present and active at this high level for a period of six months or longer before it would be diagnosed as an actual phobia. So what is a phobia then? I'm talking about what are normal transient fears. So what is a phobia? A phobia is an extreme fear of something specific, okay? Such as, you know, maybe a person, um, you know, a boogeyman type thing, something imaginary, but it could be something that I've really fixated on. It could even be located on a real person or a type of person. It could be an animal, an insect, 
um, fear of dogs, a fear of bees. Um, it could be an object. It could be a place, a type of place, a, a situation, a social situation. Phobias create feelings of fear that are so intense, though, that they disrupt the child's daily life and routine. So they go far beyond the ordinary fears of childhood that I just mentioned there. They do not subside even with reassurance from parents or other caregivers. So the fact that you're with me may not be enough. If it's a fear, I will be greatly reassured by your presence, your physical and emotional availability to me. That might not affect me in a phobic state. Some of the more common phobias, if you like, um, would include being alone, um, the dark, dogs or other big animals like that, big, noisy, jumpy, unpredictable animals, insects, bugs, bees, little stingy, flyy things. Again, it's the unpredictability there. Could be something like needles, injections, uh, choking, so I might avoid any lumps in my food, um, something like heights, uh, going to the doctor, any kind of noises or unfamiliar sounds, um, the idea that there's something hiding in my room and the wardrobe or under the bed. So it could be something in the realm of normal fear, but it gets amplified to the point that I now cannot go into my room. I am paralyzed by the fear. I cannot go in because I have that certainty that the monster is there. So it's, it's over and above the transient fear piece. I've also worked, you know, with children who experience phobias of washing, taking baths, getting haircuts, um, maybe even a phobia around the wind or a specific type of weather like rain or thunder, and literally not able to leave the house for fear that it might rain or it might be windy, which is deeply problematic in a climate like ours where these things are, are regular features in a given day. Also, children who present with phobias of vomiting, and that could be to the point that they don't even feel like they can go to school in case one of their peers was to get sick and to vomit. And it's absolutely life-limiting and inhibiting their capacity to go about their daily activities. The kinds of signs and symptoms that you're looking for in terms of a specific phobia would include, you know, and again, this isn't an exhaustive list. There can be other things here as well. But, you know, actively avoiding the object or focus of the phobia, fearfully anticipating any encounter or experience with the phobic object, um, enduring an encounter or experience with the phobic object while feeling such a high level of anxiety that the child's normal routines and activities are significantly disrupted. Um, you might even see the physical states of a cold sweat breaking out, that they pale, that their body tremors. There is a physical response as well as emotional and behavioral response. And when these kinds of things rear up and even moving it back to some of the more fear states, if you're listening and going, OK, I thought my child had a phobia. But now that you've broken down the level of it, the extent of it, duration, frequency, all of that, maybe it is more in the realm of fears. It doesn't mean that it's not a huge challenge to parent through and a huge challenge for your child, because when these fears rear up. As parents, our natural instinct is often to soothe and comfort. And we might even do that by rushing in to minimize or dismiss. You know, we might say something like, there's nothing under the bed, I promise. And you know what I'm going to say next, don't you? Yeah, as counterintuitive as it is, we parents have to try to avoid jumping in to rescue our children from difficult feelings with our fix or change agenda. This isn't because I'm some kind of masochist guy suggesting you leave your child to struggle, far from it. But in reality, we parents 
we just cannot always be there to help when our children are activated by fear or worry. And teaching them how to manage their fears without parental intervention is actually going to help build the confidence and esteem and independence that our children need to feel more in control, to feel less afraid, both now and as they grow up. So what can we do to support our children to overcome these fears and worries so that they find their way to brave? Well, it's about emotional self-regulation, which is very, very hard for young children who developmentally still emotionally co-regulate with their parents and important adults. If your child is under seven and very prone to experiencing high arousal fear states, so fears, but at an amplified level, Ensure that they feel empowered to seek out a safe adult when away from you, who they know will sit with them and help them to find their calm or to call you if needed. And this may mean that you reach out to, you know, sports coaches if your child is, you know, might experience this when at a training session or to their teachers and say, look, we're experiencing this. This is what it looks and sounds like. If it happens, please take it seriously. If you can regulate them, co-regulate them and take time with them, great. If not, please do call me. It's something we're working on. Because self-regulating is essentially the ability to process and manage our own emotions and behaviors in a healthy way. It's what gives us the ability to talk ourselves down or to feel things without acting on them. Bring to mind when you had, you know, when you had to hit that hit play on your own inner monologue that reassures you, you know, that kind of, okay, relax, don't lose it. You got this. That kind of inner monologue is what I'm talking about. Where were you the last time you had to hit play on that? What were you doing when you felt the need for it? What did you do that helped you in the moment? Do you remember how you actually learned to do this, how you developed that inner monologue of reassurance? Building self-regulation takes time, it takes practice, and it takes space to learn, which means us parents have to get comfortable with letting our children be a little uncomfortable as they figure things out for themselves. So try not to fear the fear, but hold in mind that I am not suggesting that you leave your child afraid of the dark in a dark room alone as you smile and close the door. But let's look at other things that you can do that will help them to build that inner brave, that inner calm, that capacity for self-regulation so that they know that they can handle the difficult feelings without you. So one of the first things you can do is talk about it. Children may know what they're scared of, but they don't always have the words to explain it. So asking specific questions can help. For example, if a child is afraid of dogs, you could say, I wonder what makes dogs scary. I wonder did a dog surprise you or ever knock you over? I wonder is there a certain kind of dog that you're afraid of or more afraid of? Is there any kind of dog that you know, feels kind of safe to be around. Get curious about it. And once you have a better grasp on what your child is afraid of, you'll have a clearer idea of how to help them to work through it. Equally with something like a fear of bees. Tell me the story of when the bee first scared you. What happened? Who was there? And as they're going through that story, you're getting as much detail as you can and you can just interject and say, okay, and when this happened in this moment, where did you feel it in your body? You're really deepening your understanding, but also bringing your child deeper into that as you're there to support them through it. I then want you to validate, but don't seek to minimize or dismiss because I want you to avoid brushing their fear away like, oh, that's nothing to be scared of. That's no big deal. Anything like that, that doesn't reassure. It just tells them not to bring their fears to you. 
Acknowledge instead what you have heard and the feeling behind it and reflect how you now understand how they're feeling each time they're confronted with the scary thing and empathize with how difficult this is for them. Then I want you to move towards offering alternative explanations for the behavior of, in these examples, say the dog or the bee. I wonder if the dog might have been excited to see children and showed their excited feelings by jumping up on you. You didn't like it, but the dog didn't understand and wasn't trying to scare you. He was just excited. Or I wonder if that bee was scared of you guys and when scared, the bee lashed out to push you away by stinging. It wasn't a nice thing to happen because bee stings hurt. What do we do to take care of those hurts and move the attention of the story of to nurture, soothing and again regulation and then make a plan of action together. Suggest that, you know, when they see a dog and the fear makes them jump and run, maybe that the dog sees that and gets confused and thinks it means that they want to play. So let's try something new together instead. So instead of jumping and running when they see a dog, maybe they can hold your hand as tightly as they want, move their eyes to something else find a tree, find a cloud, and you will know by this that you should sing a calm song until you are past the dog. Then if they are not with you, they can hold their own hands tightly together, look elsewhere and sing the song to themselves because they have learned through you and with you how to do it for themselves. So leading by calm example is really, really important here because there are times that we seek to teach our children fears. There are, you know, we do this as parents. You know, think about it. We teach them to be in a healthy way, of course, fearful of strangers, running across roads, walking too close to the edge. And if we can teach them fears, hold in mind that we can also teach them calm. So don't panic ahead of their panic when you see a dog or a bee or are faced with having to turn out the bedroom light or whatever it is, but take a breath yourself, exhale and have a mantra in mind that you can reach for, such as we have a plan, we know how to manage this. Exhale and smile, give a little wink, some kind of a nonverbal cue and a squeeze to the little hand that shows by doing rather than saying that you understand and you're there and will get them through it. You are modeling good coping skills as well by doing this. Be a cheerleader, but be realistic and patient too. Your encouragement should be real and relatable. I know you can try this is better than you got it. You got this straight away. Build up to that level of cheer. Otherwise, your spirit is incongruent with their fearful starting point. Always work on effort over outcome here. And soothe and comfort. Increase access to nurture and sensory play when your child is experiencing fears because it helps to take them out of their busy ruminating minds and anchor them in the now moments. Using touch as part of this play is also a way to send a message through the skin to the brain that they are safe and can emotionally exhale. It also lowers the stress hormones that a fearful experience can unleash. Role play at home the troublesome scenario to help them experience mastery over the feeling in a safe and controlled way. Hold in mind that not all fears are the same. If the fear in question doesn't interfere with your child's quality of life, leave it be for now. Still talk about it by all means and consider a plan, but don't overfocus on it. If it is a different kind of fear and the impact is affecting your child's quality of life, 
or if it has been highly active for six months plus and is becoming a phobia, please seek professional support to work it out because that is not something you can do on your on your own or that your child can do on their own. Something like play therapy with some more directive cognitive activities as part of treatment can be really helpful with this area, but it is possible to overcome it. Thank you for listening. I'd love if you could leave a positive review, share this with a friend or a few friends, or even subscribe to the podcast. It really helps others to find it and helps with visibility online. You can also follow me on Instagram at Joanna Fortune or on Twitter at the Joanna Fortune. No E at the end of that. Tune in next time for more 15-minute parenting.